0: You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Arlington Remastered. Chapter 16 The Teacher.
1: From the Journal of Sarah Arlington, Washington, District of Columbia, March 6th, 1883. Day two of my search. Yesterday had been somewhat trying, a procession of the self-serving, the corrupt, and the possibly insane. Senator McPherson had in fact been the man who impressed me the most, which naturally disturbed me. Today I swore was going to be different. I would read out the individual to be trusted. I had taken on board what McPherson said about the perceived uselessness of the role, but passed it through a filter of our dire imperative in that ticking clock. Senator Loeb seemed like the ideal VP for any other time. He was on board with Grant's policies and seemed keen to preserve the status quo, so we would likely get no conflict from him. Unfortunately, as we spoke, I found my mind wandering. He was deeply unengaging, and I was having to struggle to recall what he had said last. I nodded and furrowed my brow as though making notes, but that monotonous, bimbling voice of his left me yearning for him to stop. I realized soon enough that if Grant did pass away while this man was his VP, we would have no chance whatsoever of inspiring a crowd, though I considered getting a vox tube recording to be used by Thomas as a sleep aid. I thanked Loeb and moved on. Judge Havisham was quite the opposite, a sonorous booming voice that rattled on about the dregs of society and how we might protect ourselves while traversing the streets of Washington from covetous semites and what he termed pickpocketing nigglets by instigating permanent martial law. I waited for him to stop roaring and showering me with flecks of dribble and bade him good day. These were, of course, the more comically memorable of the men I interviewed. The ones that made me seriously question who put together the list I was going from. I made a mental note to give Truth a detailed blow-by-blow of the particularly odious ones she had personally set me up with. However, most of them were simply a parade of our long-standing surviving politicians, somber men with greedy eyes and insincere rhetoric. It was a depressing gauntlet to run, and by the mid-afternoon I was exhausted. I pitched up at Riley High School on North Street and realized where I was standing. Thirteen years ago, Thomas and I had stood on this very spot, looking up at the brand-new site of the Preparatory High School for Colored Youth. While quite a walk from our house, it was the first of its kind— And with Harry and Truth approaching seven years old, it had been our hope that when they reached the appropriate age, they might attend. Today was a Tuesday, so lessons were taking place. I tried not to disturb, but could not help pausing to gaze across at the sea of faces. Each classroom was full to capacity, and every skin tone was on show. I finally caught the eye of the man at the head of the geography class. Principal Sean Riley, who changed hands with his assistant and came to meet me in the corridor.
2: Deputy Director Arlington.
1: I can come back if you need to get to the end of this one.
2: I got the message about you coming down here. What's this about?
1: It's important government business. I may have a job for you.
2: In that case, would you mind waiting 15 minutes? We need to finish.
1: Mind if I sit in?
2: Sure, but you'll have to stand in. We don't have enough chairs.
1: I can stand. I didn't have to stand. I had not been in his class ten seconds when a boy vacated his seat and offered it to me. He was blonde and malnourished, but perched himself on a friend's desk without a word. I sat, gratefully, and spent fifteen minutes drifting left and right and praying that this creaking, rickety child seat would not shatter and leave the second-in-command of the National Intelligence Agency flat on her fanny. Riley continued his geography lesson, making note of the vast areas of the map that were now unknown and out of contact. He conversed with the class in a lively fashion, asking them for real-world solutions to the distances that needed to be traveled, and the benefits of branching out away from America to make contact with the rest of the world. As class finished and the kids filed out, I was left with him as he put away his things and organized a stack of test-answer sheets for marking.
2: So, there's got to be some reason why I've been put forward for this, because I surely didn't ask for it.
1: One of your students is Senator Lieberman's son, correct?
2: Little Stanley put in a good word for me.
1: Senator Lieberman seems to think you're a responsible fellow. Good at putting things together. A fine speaker.
2: You're sitting in an underfunded clubhouse with blackboards and my name on the sign outside. That's about the extent of it. What were you before you came to D.C.? I ran another school back in Boston. Before that, I served on the Mayor Lincoln. That's Fred, not Abraham. Before that, I worked at the Natural History section at a Boston museum. Before that, I attended the University of New Hampshire where I studied law, during which time I was expelled for punching the Dean. Did a little time in jail after that one, went through a bad patch, got mixed up in some petty crime. Not proud of it, but you should probably know all this before you ask me to do anything important for you, because it's gonna come out anyway. May as well save everybody to trouble.
1: What did the Dean do?
2: It doesn't matter. I could say anything to make you think better or worse of me at this point. I wish I could say I was standing up for the little guy, but the truth is, I was 18, fired up, and if I could go back now and slap the taste out of my mouth to prevent that moment from happening, yeah, I would.
1: But by the time you ended up here, you were good and respectable.
2: Well, I I don't know about respectable. A little less stupid, Maddie.
1: But when you brought this place back together, and I hope you understand I'm not offended, but it was an all-black high school before Washington was deserted. I want to know, why fight so hard for integration in a place like this?
2: Easier to do so in an established all-black school than an established all-white school.
1: It was a point of pride for the black community.
2: Miss Arlington, no offense on my part either, but your husband's book seems pretty keen on dropping those barriers. We care about community here, but most of all, we care about mixing it up. Now, yes, this was a historical site. I never wanted to take that away purely for the sake of white, Asian, Jewish, and Indian communities, but you're of an age where you can remember a time before even segregated schools, am I right? When slave owners would deliberately withhold knowledge of the outside world, of history, they made educating yourselves a punishable offense. They were all shit-scared of the potential for an upwardly mobile people who hungered for more. Well, those are exactly the kind of people I want to teach, those who want to learn. And the first thing they need to know is that none of this should be repeated. No more segregation, no more judgment, collective mobility before pride in separate communities. Education is the thing that's going to get us through this.
1: Not the greater decisions of our leaders.
2: Think of it over the course of ten years, Miss Arlington. It's 1883 now. Children aged 12 to 17 are learning about a world that changed forever when they were infants. Concept of what existed before is based on what we give them. Now you yourself can spend those ten years putting out fires, reclaiming territory, juggling the population, from one settlement to the next, enforcing unity and executing Wendigos with the army, and at the end of that time period, you may have some cities back. That is, if you can get everyone to lay down their personal hang-ups for long enough to embrace what you're selling. Now, I will have had ten classes through here, four hundred minds that will have been cultivated, and if they're sitting next to kids of every kind, learning together all the way, then the notion that prejudice should intrude on their lives will have become a pitiable embarrassment from antiquated history. And that's, of course, if their parents don't screw them up royally when they go home. That's a big if, by the way. That's why I think education doesn't need to end. Our minds don't cease to hunger the moment we graduate. We just get out of practice exercising them. We drop into our place in society, and sure, you guys have that all sewn up. You're good at getting people to be cogs in that great machine. But what if those cogs were always learning, always improving, always finding new ways to make that system better?
1: Where would people find the time for all this?
2: You tell me. You're the ones peddling total war.
1: Touché. But a lot of politicians would disagree with your stance. Expansion of the cities, hospitals, agriculture, the justice system, the military, these all take up an enormous amount of that time and our resources.
2: But who builds the houses and paves the roads of the future? Who's going to be tending the sick and growing the crops, presiding over the courts and mapping out campaigns at the turn of the century? Children are just inexperienced people, and we need that experience to call ourselves adults. They need mathematics so they can get their heads around the numbers we're facing. Twenty million Americans dead since 1870, and that's a conservative estimation through infection and starvation, disease and conflict. People need to learn chemistry to comprehend medicine and sanitation, biology to better appreciate the animals and plants we share our country with, not the least of which is the Wendigo, physics so they can understand the properties of existence, natural reactions, how the transfer of energy goes, and all of those that can be applied to ingenuity and creation of new processes, new compounds, new inventions, which will help move us forward as a species. They need geography so they can adjust their reckoning of the world outside their door and realize that a small amount of space it is that they themselves occupy and just how much is out there waiting to be discovered again. They need English so that they can communicate, Spanish and French so they can prepare themselves for a world where English is not the be-all-end-all of culture and communication, so they can foster allies beyond their borders. And they need literature. We have hundreds of years of great stories to read, lessons learned by countless characters, human experiences far beyond the realms of what a person can encounter in just one lifetime. Literature, above all other education, can encapsulate the importance of love, how powerful it can be and how it shapes our actions, good and bad. They need to know history so that they can understand where they came from. Ah, to understand and empathize as well as to express themselves where words are not enough. Out there you've got millions of people wandering around with all this shit bubbling under the surface that can't be channeled only through practical means. And while we're at it, bring back sports for God's sakes. I haven't seen a baseball game in nine years. You can't expect everyone to appreciate the works of Monet, but you can be damn sure a lot of people will crowd around to watch a ball being knocked about and human exceptionalism celebrated in a context that doesn't involve bashing in the heads of monsters. Humanity needs to relearn all of this and keep its scope of understanding broad so that when it comes time to vote, they will be in possession of as many of the facts as possible. That way they cannot easily be swayed by fear-mongering. They might even deliberately seek out the leader with an intelligence they can look up to in value. They need to want the smartest people at the top, and those leaders themselves need to be smart enough to follow the people they serve. I say again, there is nothing on earth, Miss Arlington, more important to the long-term future of mankind than education. It informs all our decisions. In its absence, we're all going with our guts, and guts only get you so far.
1: Have you rehearsed that, in case someone who could give your school a higher government grant ever came by?
2: Little bit, yes. Was it impressive?
1: My heart skipped a beat a few times. I mean it, though, and it absolutely implies to whatever business do you have for me today. You're right, of course. I think it's time I got to the point. Mr. Riley, with what happened to Mr. Hayes in Ohio the other day, we have no running vice president. Would you consider the role?
2: Oh, I, uh, thought this would
1: have something to do with the education board. He had been taken aback, and glanced about the empty classroom as he considered this.
2: Would I, uh, have to start right away?
1: Yes. And should you be selected, there's a strong chance you'll end up involved in next year's election.
2: I don't understand why you're here. I'm a teacher. Isn't Congress just groaning with professionals with politics in their blood? have to be a hundred people better suited to this position within a mile or two
1: do you know what senator lieberman was before the government reformed in manassas a tailor so many of the sitting politicians we had in the early 1870s fled to the west or were killed in the panic we pulled together the best of what was left they put on a brave face and the clothing of office but reunified states politics is a shifting, evolving series of rules and amendments. You'll be surrounded by people who know what they're doing, but have had to learn how the hard way. You should consider it, Sean. Because more than any of the rest of the candidates I've met with the last two days, I am interested in what you have to say. I'm already a devotee in just these past few minutes. Clearly the kids were and I think others will be too.
2: Alright. I'll think about it.
1: I have a list here that needs a word more definitive than a maybe next to your name. America may soon have need of you.
2: Then, uh, put me down for a yes.
1: For the record, I'm not sorry this place isn't colored youth only anymore. It's just that... A few years back, while it still was, I was considering trying for a job here, as a teacher.
3: From the Journal of Major Frank Butler, Washington, District of Columbia, March 6th, 1883. Late in the evening, I was charged to find the director, as he had a visitor who had arrived with a manner of cryptic urgency. His office was empty, so I consulted Chester on the phone network and found he was in the training gym. As I approached, the sounds of a scuffle could be heard. I let myself in and saw the director engaged in a furious exchange of blows with Agent Lee. Both of them were moving faster than I could keep track of, parrying and returning at close range. It culminated in Thomas on the floor with the lady's knee to the back of his head. They spotted me and hastily returned to their feet.
0: (sighs) Major. I was just letting
3: off some steam. Whatever you have to do to keep your cool around these skullduggerous politicians, sir. I had no idea you could do this. Lee's been training me for,
0: what, four years now?
4: Four years.
0: It helps me to know that if I get into trouble, I can defend myself. You hide it
3: well. Hmm... I mean, you always seemed so... You thought I was a stuffed shirt and needed protecting. Begging your pardon, sir, but nobody would have expected you were a master of the deadly arts. Student. Getting there. We'll see. You came to find me. Yes, a fellow's here to see you, name of Eli Roach. He said to mention a sookie. (sighs) Thomas had frozen. He had stopped panting and now stood rigid. What? What? Uh, Sookie.
0: I'll be there in ten minutes. I have to rinse myself down and change. Lee will be with me. Major Butler, please have this man entirely strip searched. Check inside every
3: crevice. As he turned away from me, I caught sight of his naked back for the first time. It was crisscrossed with scars long, ragged whip-strokes that had torn up his flesh many years ago. I felt a stab of sympathy inside, but I knew I could never voice it to this painfully proud man. I obligingly left the room and went to conduct the thorough body search on this late-night visitor. He was a deeply unpleasant man and said several unrepeatable things to the agents who searched his possessions and clothes. I did not relish the inspection of those orifices, nor the look from his beady eyes. He was clothed in a simple jacket, pants, and shoes. They had an odor about them, but he was not carrying any weapons nor paperwork. We had to take him for his word. When we reached Arlington's office, he was in a freshly pressed suit and sat calmly behind his desk with Lee beside him. Mr. Roach slumped in the facing chair, and I kept my eye on his hands as what transpired played out.
4: I know you. I know you, boy, because I know Sookie, and I remember you.
3: Thomas sat with a poker face that betrayed none of the anxiety he had displayed in the gym.
4: What do you want? Fisher says you can back off of Van Tassel, and back off of him. He don't want no trouble, if you give him any... especially if I fail to rematerialize for any reason then three identical letters will be going to the Herald the Post and Stars and Stripes each with a very true little story about you and Sookie and how you come to be together in Washington snug as two bugs and two rugs and if I back off no letters leave them alone forever those letters never get sent anything else 10000 government credits i want them unmarked non traceable actually pretty cheap considering what you probably make in a year if i say yes i want no advances on these terms do you we don't want any trouble like i said all right do you want these now? I can wait while you go fetch them.
3: Thomas left the room and was gone for some time. Lee and I stared at Roach, who smiled back at us with mirthless spite. Thomas returned with a sheaf of papers in a leather bag, which the man took as he
4: stood. Much obliged, sir. May I say, you've smartened yourself up since last I saw you. We done here. Long as after tonight, none of your cartographers come sniffing around our place of business. Then, yeah, we're done. Otherwise, we've got problems. Those newspapers is getting those letters. Maybe a few other people, too.
0: Tell Mr. Van Tassel to run his campaign. We
4: won't interfere with him or Fisher. So this is the principal man of America, huh? The high and mighty Lord of the Pen that's going to save us all. By the way, you can pick up Lawton Sadler's head on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial.
0: Thomas. Agent Lee, will you please go and retrieve Mr. Sadler's head? Be wary of a trap and ensure you are not followed. Yes, sir. Director. Please be quiet, Major. I need to organize compensation for his remaining family. Yes, sir. You have been listening to episode 16 of Arlington Remastered, The Teacher. Sean Riley performed by Bob Chipman. Sarah Arlington performed by Maureen Foley. Thomas Arlington performed by Alex Shaw. Eli Roach performed by Matt Wardle. Major Frank Butler performed by Spencer Lieb. And Agent Lee performed by Sharon Shaw. Prospector Theme and Long Road Ahead, performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Make Your Decision by Dan Phillipson of Shockwave Sound. Many Soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. Bob Chipman is a movie and video gaming critic with years of thought-provoking work to his name. His best material is the Really That Good series. And Stonespring Maidens is now available in paperback form on Amazon.com. And if you're on our Patreon at the $10 level or higher, then access to the ebook version is part of the bonus package you receive. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak Cassandra Newman Chris Finnick Christopher Wolfe Kieran Dashler Connor Kennedy Dan Mayer Daniel Salguero Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman David Sheely Duran Barnett Evan Jankowski Finbar Nicole Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing Jameis Enright Jesse Ferguson Joe Gassiga Joe Crow Joel Robinson Johan Clayson Joseph Gluck Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Lux, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Scott Jacob, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns.